there's only one way to talk about this movie. Welcome to the Video Express, where we dust off old VHS tapes and discuss all things horror, sci-fi, and exploitation. I'm Matt. And I'm Katie. Let's get things rolling. Katie, tell our fine listeners what movie we're spotlighting on tonight's episode. So tonight, we are talking about Black Scorpion, the 1995 uh, Roger Corman-produced superhero Batman, sort of Batman ripoff about a a masked vigilante who has to save the town from an evil criminal who wants to poison the air of the city. And um, that's as concise as I can get with the plot at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of fun discussing the quote-unquote plot of black scorpion uh but before we dive into it uh why don't we tell all our listeners what's going on today in the cinema world okay so i don't have a lot today um there's not really a lot going on right now um but i do have a birthday today um fright night 2 the sequel to the classic fright night uh released today in 1989 um i haven't revisited this one in a while but i remember really liking this movie uh growing up so i think i think i'm due for a (laughs) rewatch i just i revisited it um just uh like i don't know like two months ago or so and um i'm always that weirdo who loves the sequels that everybody else seems to hate and i know i'm in like the like i love sequels yeah yeah I'm, i'm in like the most minuscule camp when i say this but I'm actually the person who actually prefers Fright Night Two over the first one, um, because I oh I just, wow yeah I know and don't get me wrong Fright Night the original is by far one of the most like superior superb vampire movies ever made, um, but I I you know oh, yeah I'm so easily entertained, um, and like you you wave something pretty <laughs> in front of me and I'm going to to you know get all big googly eyed, so like Fright Night Two has all that weird. <laughs> pretty stuff to me like the the outlandish effects the outlandish characters um the lead vampire she's fucking beautiful so like I, there's so many things and uh, and also oh, yeah. Char- charlie brewster's girlfriend in that movie who was of course recast it's no longer amy from the first one like tracy lind was the actress's name that girl was fucking gorgeous so sorry to rant about fright night mm-hmm. too but yes that movie is phenomenal <laughs> phenomenal um, yeah, that's a great movie. So happy birthday to Fright Night 2. And then uh, a little something to put on your radar. So the this episode is coming out on May 19th. And this Friday, May 21st, um, a little movie is coming to Netflix that is going to be pretty wacky, I think. It is called Army of the Dead. And it is written and directed by Zack Snyder. Um, which, you know, I... Like we're not going to get into a, a a tangent about Zack Snyder, but you know I have mixed feelings about him. I'm not like I'm not as into the comic book movies as you are, so I don't have like any strong thoughts about 
Justice League or anything like that, but I do yeah, know that I actually really love his, I love his Dawn of the Dead movie. I love his Dawn of the Dead remake Same. from 2006. So even though, you know, it doesn't matter what I think of Zack Snyder's movies as of late, um, I do, I will always appreciate him for that movie. So um, Army of the Dead is apparently, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll say, it, yeah, it's definitely best to, uh, to, uh, not get me on a tangent about Zack Snyder because I will probably take up the entire show talking about I, <laughs> like because I you know I I don't like love and worship the man, um, but I do genuinely like his fucking and of course I'm a comic book superhero junkie, um, and I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed his four hour cut of Justice League, but um yeah I can see where he's not you know not for everyone but yeah I'll, I'll be here all night so yeah go ahead yeah. <laughs> yeah basically i don't dislike him either i'm just not like his number one fan necessarily but basically army of the dead um appears to be some sort of over-the-top zombie heist movie yep. starring dave bautista um and the 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 kind of blurb plot blurb is that following a zombie outbreak in las vegas a group of mercenaries take the ultimate gamble venturing into the quarantine zone to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted so you've got my attention in like 10 different ways at this point and you know i watched the trailer it looks like a lot of fun i read an interview where Zack snyder was talking about it and basically was like he was like nobody's ever let me just go balls to the wall like this. Like no one's ever just like let me loose in this way. So I'm very interested to see uh, what that is. So that is coming to Netflix again. It's called army of the dead. Um, it'll be on Netflix this Friday, May 21st. Uh, so check it out. And that's all I got for, uh, for news right now. All right. Short and sweet. Well, yep. here we go. Uh, you know what? Before before we we do this, Katie, um, I'm a uh, I'm a little empty here, so I think <laughs> there's only one way to talk about this movie, and that is and that is <laughs> to be uh, yeah inebriated. I, now that's fair. You know, I feel like it's that kind of movie. It is that kind of movie, unfortunately, and then you know. Again, this, this this movie was my idea, but it bit me in the ass. Um, so, <laughs> so funny story, and uh, it's it's fun because I get to tell you while everybody listens. Um, I, I picked the, the sound wrong... effects along with you telling this story and sighing as I'm hearing the <laughs> drinks pouring and the glass clinking is really special. I think. So, uh, thank you. Um, so funny story, I picked the wrong movie. <laughs> wait what so what were we supposed to be talking about today okay so well all right so it's not exactly like i picked the absolute like wrong movie like completely like we're in the same we're in the right franchise um so <laughs> i grew i grew up with roger corman's 90s film so i think i talked about that on the last episode um mm-hmm. all of his all of his 90s like made for tv shit uh, all of his '90s, like straight to video shit. Sorry, I'm in her porn hot sauce and shit in my a cocktail. Um, I grew up with. I loved all that shit, you know. So Black Scorpion uh, came out, and of course I watched that. It came out in '95, so I was like 12 years old. So that movie was all for me. I mean, 
campy, dark oh, superhero, yeah. nudity, like you know, campy characters. Like fucking yes, I'm I'm all in. Um, and then they did a sequel, Black Scorpion Two, and then a couple years, uh, well, about I don't know, six years later, I think, uh, they did a TV series that came out on Sci-Fi Channel that I watched. And we'll get more into that later. Mm-hmm. So I own, uh, I own all of it. I own Black Scorpion One, Black Scorpion Two on VHS, and I own the series on on DVD. It's been uh, a decade, probably, since I've watched any of it. So whenever I think of Black Scorpion, I think of bits and pieces, I guess. And in my mind, it's in one movie. So the whole time I was doing our calendar of what to watch, I was like, oh, you know, instead of doing like Roger Corman's like classic horror that everybody talks about, we should do like this weird, you know, shit that nobody talks about. So, of course, well, you know, our our last episode we did uh, uh, Terror Within. So I was like, oh, we'll, we'll do Black Scorpion, you know, superhero, uh, something a little bit different for our show. So I was like, fuck, yeah, we're going to do Black Scorpion the whole time. I am thinking of the second one. With bits and pieces, of, <laughs> and with bits and pieces of the the series sprinkled into what I remembered the first one being. So I watched oh. it. I watched it today, uh, right before we right before we start recording, and about fifteen minutes into the movie, I was like, I fucked up because the first one compared to the others, this movie's a slog. And oh man, yeah, so. I was like, I am drinking on tonight's episode. Usually I drink before the episode. I'm drinking during our episode tonight. <laughs> now the drinks are pouring. They're flowing right in the middle of it. Yeah, you know, yeah. this was not my favorite movie that we've talked about. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I think it feels like, it feels like, it feels like it like, it's like a Power Rangers movie that was directed by Bluntman and Chronic. Like I just was waiting for like Jay and Silent Bob and their Bluntman and Chronic costumes to show up around the corner like any moment and just wink at the camera cuz it just was so we like every fight scene feels like uh one of those like FMV video games from the 90s like yeah. with Corey Haim in it. Like it just was like I don't know. And the costumes, we'll, we'll get into all that in a second, but I, I did really quickly want to just attempt to go over at least the bare bones plot of this movie. Um, so that anything that we talk about will make even a remote, like tiny bit of sense to anyone listening. Cause this movie is definitely all over the place. Um, the first thing I wanted to point out is that uh, this the the way that I know that some corners of IMDb are just entirely crowdsourced and not have doesn't have any official sources is that this is the IMDb synopsis of Black Scorpion. Uh-huh. A female Batman with a strong story, intriguing characters, good action pacing, dot dot dot, and several opportunities for sex. That's it. That's the synopsis on IMDb. That is com- like that's almost entirely wrong. I mean, I know it's like completely wrong. Everything's wrong. Like they didn't say if anything factual. No. In that sentence. No, I mean, like there's a little maybe female Batman. There's a there there is like sex in the movie, but not like that makes it sound like this is like strap in boys. Like this is like 
fem- like Batgirl sex. Like yeah, the there's literally movie one sex scene, and it's the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm not gonna. I, we'll get into it, but that I, I don't was know if I do hard that. to watch. Um, <laughs> it was one of the worst. It was like the least sexiest things I've ever seen. Like one of the e- even though she is beautiful, Joan Severance is gorgeous, and like obviously you know she's all naked in her little leather mask and all that stuff. So like. It, it that is fine but just we'll get into it but the way they shot it is all over the place but anyway uh, um so es- essentially black scorpion it starts with there is a cop and his daughter the single dad cop and his daughter and the daughter is like really into like the idea of being a cop and this this dad cop accidentally shoots and kills a, a doctor during a police shootout i won't even get into the nitty-gritty of that because that's a whole like the first like 10 to 15 minutes of this movie it feels like um but anyway he kills this cop and loses his job 18 years later he is just suddenly murdered by the district attorney for seemingly no reason um, in front of his daughter, who is now grown up and also become a cop. And she's kind of like a badass cop in her and, own right. And now, so, now that she's grown up, she looks the exact same age as her fucking father. Did you notice Yes, that? she does. In <laughs> fact, I read that the actor, the actor uh, that was playing her dad was only like two years older than Joan Severance, and they like barely put any aging makeup no, on him. They like they dusted his hair to look slightly gray, <laughs> <laughs> and they just made him like a tired, like alcoholic. Um, but anyway, so the DA just shows up in the middle of a crowded bar and shoots him dead, and nobody knows why he did it. So, you know, she confronts the DA in jail one night like after hours she like goes back into the into the jail to confront him and she like kind of threatens him I think and basically that her boss uh the you know the 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 chief is not pleased by that so she gets suspended and then she's just disillusioned by this whole system so she suddenly decides that she's going to become the black scorpion a masked vigilante who fights crime in a tiny leather leotard and mask so she eventually discovers that the da had some sort of toxin in his inhaler that may basically turns you into like a murderous psychopath I guess. And so as she's like trying to figure out how that started, uh, she discovers that the group responsible for creating this toxin is led by none other than the doctor that her dad supposedly killed 18 years ago, who is now being kept alive by some experimental tech suit. He's kind of dressed like a Mortal Kombat villain. (laughs) Um, And his name is the Breathtaker. And he wants to poison the whole air supply of the town to control it, I guess. That's pretty much it. I mean, we can get into some of the details of it. But basically, he wants to poison the air of the whole town, and she has to stop him. And um, she also really wants to bang her police partner. And that's the story. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Video Express. We want to thank our sponsor, Lunch. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> It's the shortest episode yet. I mean, you you uh, you you fucking covered it like pretty fucking well. I did my um, best, man. I'm just trying, and I don't think any of that made sense. Like, but I, so I don't even know like where to begin. Um, I, you know me. I, I hate. I hate 
trashing movies and I also love bad stuff. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I hate this movie. I didn't love it by any means. Yeah. Like, but I, after I realized I was watching the wrong one and realized that I think it's like nowhere near as good as the, uh, the other entries, uh, I still had fun. Um, <laughs> but you know, but yeah. that's, that's the whole point. I had fun like, watching this too. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's grown worthy. I rolled my eyes so many times. I groaned out loud over terrible dialogue, terrible acting. But oh, yeah, but I, I I know you're probably not going to agree. You might, you might. Um, but I, I something about it I found charming. I, mm-hmm. I I think it's because you know I will go ahead, go ahead. No, I was gonna just say I I I'll I'll mostly agree with you on that it definitely has some some charming parts like i feel like the the first half of the movie is a lot stronger than like or actually the whole first hour of the movie is a lot stronger than the last 30 minutes or so the last 30 minutes are kind of a mess and just don't really make any sense to me um so that's where it started to kind of lose me and my eyes started to glaze over a little bit but like there's some pretty genuinely funny and just like over the top ridiculous moments and like it's not trying to be serious like it's it's roger corman like they know it's campy it's a made for tv movie like it it knows what it's doing um but i think yeah i don't know if it's a movie i'll revisit again but now you have me intrigued about the sequel so i might end up watching that at some point so uh, i I, like i want to talk about the sequel so bad but i'll I'll wait uh, i'll wait a little bit (laughs) <laughs> so the thing here, here's my thing about this one. You got you got to remember this is 1995. So as far as superhero films go at at this time, uh, we, there's nothing out there really. There's you've got the Batman films. Um, this came out the exact mm-hmm. same year as uh, Batman Forever. And other than that, I mean, you know, there there's not much in the way of of superhero genre um, and and in theaters or even on, on, you know, on home video at this point, uh, I, I think I, I, you have to fact check me on this one. I'm not a hundred percent sure of, uh, of the years off the top of my head, but I think like, um, Alec Baldwin in the shadow and Billy Zane and the phantom, I, I run about the same time they came out, but, uh, what you got to realize, like this movie, while it is like, you know, not great. The reason I think it's charming is, I doubt this entire movie's budget would cover one day of catering on Batman Forever. And oh yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's just like they, yeah, there are some terrible like effects and and stunt work and costume and shit like that in it, but it's still charming and they fucking pulled it off. And again, like they pulled it off for like no money. I mean, money, but fucking beans when, like I said, compared to mm-hmm. a Hollywood budget. So I, I find it charming. I find it fun. Um, and there's something about that era, uh, that, that late 90s, mid to late 90s era made for cable television. Like this is Showtime. Um, the, what it came yeah. out on. Something about that era of those types of uh, home video, straight to primetime cable movies. They had like this grit to them that I fucking love. And I know I went on a long rant about uh, the Emmanuel series last episode, the, the you know, the, the skin flicks I used to watch <laughs> late nights. Um, but even those types of movies yeah. had that, like, that look and that late 90s, like, 
I don't want to say grime, but you know, it's like a grit to it. And I fucking love that shit. Yeah. I love that I, shit. Yeah. Something about it was, um, it like something about this whole movie felt really familiar to me, even though I didn't really spend a lot of time like flipping through Showtime late at night in 1995 right. when I probably wasn't old enough to to change the channel by myself. But that's re- <laughs> if that's relevant. Um, but like, okay, so you know, this movie was part of Roger Corman's uh, series called Roger Corman Presents, yep. which was for Showtime, and I just thought this was really interesting, and, and also just adds some kind of context for the production value of this. But between January and June of 1995, they shot 13 films for for Showtime, nice. um, and this was one of them. And he said that you know, Roger Corman said there pretty much wasn't a, a day where they weren't shooting something like they had something going on all over uh, constantly. So I just, uh, I don't know, you know, no matter what you think of this movie, I just will always appreciate Roger Corman for his hustle, man. Like dude is 95. Like, okay. So we're, we're recording this in April and he just turned 95, like a few days ago and he is still going, like he's still still doing stuff. So I just think that's so cool. Um, and this was his idea. He originally had the idea um, he wanted to do like a sexy female super, I mean, uh, Batman slash Spider-Man uh, combo. And he so, yeah, this was all his his idea. Um, so that I do appreciate. Um, and then, you know, I mean, there's like you said, there's definitely some really charming parts. And I will always forever be grateful for the experience of watching this movie because then I got to hear one of the funniest lines I've ever heard in a movie, like in my entire life, just like the delivery, the setup, everything. And it's within like the first five minutes of the movie. So they go to the hospital and they're showing this doctor that is about to eventually get killed uh by joan severance's dad but the doctor so they're like wheeling in some of these criminals that uh that have been injured in a car yeah that guy and he just very quickly the first line he says when he comes on screen is this might be a good opportunity to use those new experimental devices on these trauma patients And I just love that. I went back and rewound it like three times to watch him say it because it's just like it's perfect delivery. And it's just like, wow, that is just that is just a a thing to something that they like throw out there and then don't come back to until the very end of the movie when they mention that those experimental devices are what kept him alive. What do I always say, Katie? What do I always say? You set it up up and pay off. Yep. And I don't know. I feel like that. I got ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> you, it was so great. Is so that doctor you're talking about, Doctor Goddard, uh, which is the uh, the doctor that supposedly gets killed by. Uh... All right, so let, let's just let's just start about the characters, and we're you know we're always full spoilers, so don't be fucking shocked, people. Um, so Darcy Walker, yeah, who is played by Joan Severance, is our lead. She's our uh, our Black Scorpion. Uh, so Darcy Walker's dad mm-hmm. is a cop. And uh, he's the one who, uh, who you know, they're after these two goons that's evidently like killed some people and robbed a bank or whatever. He shot them. They've gone to the hospital and they get back. I guess they get back up and like there's a shootout in the hospital. Dr. Goddard comes in and yep. and uh, our, our Darcy's dad, you know, Mr. Walker, 
opens fire and shoots Dr. Goddard. And uh, of course, like Katie just said, like he, that great line of this is a great time to try out our experimental bullshit or whatever. What gets me is that delivery is so campy, so over the top. And that actor who plays Dr. Goddard is only in the movie for what, like three minutes? Like, yeah. it's like three minutes of screen. Because then not it's the... somebody else in yeah, the mask it's, uh, yeah, when somebody... he's the villain. He's yeah. like a different person. So this guy is played by Casey uh, Samasco, who, of course, was in, like, uh, the Back to the Future movies as uh, one of Biff's uh, gang member, you know, Biff's uh, goons. Oh, shit. Uh, he, yeah, he played, he, yeah. he's in one of my favorite movies, Young Guns. He was in A Vice and Men. And believe it or not, he was in, the reason I want to bring up The Phantom a while ago, he was in The Phantom movie with Billy Zane. Um, he's probably most known for wow. NY- he's most known for NYPD Blue, Law and Order. So like this guy, like a he's not a bad actor at all. Um, B his like, yeah his line of work has always been like good. It just this motherfucker how how I want to know how this happened, how he got in on this I, movie, and like what like did they think he was like some big? I would deal? love to know that. Did they think he was like I mean like. Again, like I find, I think he's a good actor and he's got a good catalog of work. But it's not like he's like, I'm not going to call him the Christopher Lee of this movie because at at this point, Joan Severance is more recognizable than him. So I don't understand like mm-hmm. the specifics of why they cast this guy. I. But you want to hear something really sad? I don't know. I the yes. this this character of <laughs> <laughs> this character of Doctor Goddard, aka the Breathtaker, um. One of the reasons why I wanted to watch this movie and I thought I had it mixed up is because in the series, Black Scorpion, the series, um, there's like a it's like a minor reboot of the first movie going on in that series. Right. Guess who plays Dr. Goddard, a.k.a. Breathtaker on the series? Adam fucking West. No. Yes. So what? Yeah, Adam West, the original Batman. Well, not the original Batman, but our 1966 Batman played uh, Doctor Goddard in the series. And for whatever reason, like I had it in my head that Adam West was the bad guy in the first movie. So you can uh, understand my disappointment <sighs> when I was like, "Fuck!" I mixed I mixed things up. But yeah, anyway, I digress. Uh... Um. So let's 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 start in order. Uh, let's let's back it up just a hair. Let's start with uh, let's start with our lead. Let's start with Darcy Walker, aka yeah. Black Scorpion, played by Joan Severance. Um, of course, you know mm-hmm. she's she's no she's known like as a, as a model in in the in the early nineties. Uh, she was in uh, some films that I've seen. Uh, See no evil, hear no evil. Of course, with uh, Richard Pryor mm-hmm. and uh, with Willy Wonka, uh, Chocolate Factory, and Young Frankenstein's uh, Gene Wilder. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, she was also in um, No Holds Barred with uh, with none other than Hulk Hogan. So tell me yeah. what you what you thought of Darcy Walker, a.k.a. Black Scorpion, a- a.k.a. Joan Severance. OK, well, Joan Severance is kind of a badass like she it. I love her look as the black scorpion. Like the costume is just so over the top. Um, I feel like Darcy as a character um, 
when she's not being the black scorpion, I don't fully know how I feel about her. Like sometimes she's kind of a badass, and then sometimes, I mean, I think mostly I'm just confused at her fashion choices. Like she's just <laughs> got this like 1950s like haircut with the big flip on the bottom, and everything she wears is just so weird and but then when she's the black scorpion like she's just so much more badass and like i don't know i i was a little disappointed because the very first time you see her in this movie she's actually under undercover as a as a prostitute Mm -hmm. and she's dressed she's got this like betty page wig with the bangs and the long black hair and then she's got basically the the an early version of her black scorpion costume but then she's got this super cool clear raincoat over top of it and she just looked so cool like she looked like she was about to step into like a matrix sequel or something um so i was kind of hoping that's kind of what she would look like for a lot of the movie but then she just was kind of i don't know there's like one scene where she's got like pink and clear like jelly sandals on like like something a child might wear in the 90s um (laughs) you know overall this is the 90s, true, but she... Okay, I think one thing that I do think is really cool is that she was 37 when she made this movie. I believe And that, yeah. I just feel like, especially in, you know, especially in 1995, I just feel like if they were looking for, like, a hot, badass lady lead, they would cast, like, a 20-year-old or just some really young, um, kind of your classically you know, young, hot girl in that role. And so, you know, I thought it was cool that they cast like a slightly older woman because it just gives her, I don't know, it feels like she, she, she's got a little bit more like wisdom and just overall like badassness. I don't know, something about her being a little bit older. I, I did really like, um, I agree but I with mean, you. Most of the characters. Um, I oh, agree sorry, with go ahead. No, you're fine. I agree with you, but also like, <sighs> so Michelle Lentel, uh, played Black Scorpion on the show, on the series. And of course, she mm-hmm. is the younger, hotter, you know, of, of the two. And is definitely like my favorite because you need to look her up. Like that, that woman. That oh, woman. I recognize this person. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, I see what you mean. I'm not saying that Joan Severance is, you know, eh, like unattractive in the slightest. Joan, oh, Severance, yeah. Joan Severance is a beautiful woman. Uh, Michelle Lentel, however, Jesus Christ, that woman... Whew. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that it, it was the 90s. So fashion choices back then. Yeah. that's. <laughs> but uh, I she comes off such cookie cutter like. Uh, I'm just going to fucking say it. I, I'm, try, I'm trying to hold myself back and I'm just going to just say fucking boring. Like she, yeah, she's real so boring, fucking boring, dude. The entire time, like yeah. the only time that like she's worth watching is when she is in the Black Scorpion outfit. There's yeah. nothing interesting about her character in the slightest uh, when she's mm-hmm. just Darcy Walker. And I think that's, I think that's a mistake too because I think what they were like trying to do, like I feel like what they were trying to do is like your classic like. Peter Parker, Spider-Man kind of like dichotomy, so to speak, where it's like, you you know, you yourself might feel kind of like shy or like boring or whatever, whatever there is about you. But then through this persona, through this alter ego, you find your strength. But usually when they have that, 
even the like quote unquote boring regular version of them is somewhat interesting or has some sort of depth to them. But I mean, it's probably because of how fast they were just cranking out these movies. They just didn't, you know, really give a lot of uh, time to give anybody any depth. But like, I literally feel like I don't know anything about her except for she really likes her dad and she really likes being a cop. And that's, oh, and she wants to bang her partner. And that's literally it. I don't know anything about what she does for fun. I don't know what kind of interest she has. Like even her fashion choices don't make sense because they don't match her personality. Personality, So like she's wearing something kind of wacky and like goofy looking, but then she's just so boring and kind of flat. Um, So that was just, I just feel like she just kind of fit like, Here's a here's a, a a cut out for woman cop, and then there she is. <laughs> well, you know, I feel like everybody except for one person in this entire cast was phoning in their performance. Um, es- yeah, especially her co-star Bruce Abbott, who played the character of Michael Russo, her her partner. Um, oh, now yeah. now Bruce Abbott who I love and reanimator and Brad of reanimator. Uh, he's also in bad mm-hmm. dreams, which is some people consider a nightmare on Elm street ripoff, but whatever, fuck them. Um, and he was also in uh, <laughs> another pseudo made for cable television, 90s superhero flick called the demolitionist. Um, I've always liked him, uh, especially like I said, especially in the reanimator, reanimator movies, he's very charming, but he is just fucking a cardboard cutout standing in the room delivering lines. He is so goddamn bad yeah. in this movie that it's it's almost disgraceful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I know we said we'd talk about it later, but fuck, we're going to talk about it now. The sex scene. Um, he's, to me... I hate it. He, to me, is what makes that sex scene so fucking bad because there is not an ounce of yeah, enjoyment... It's it's not an ounce of enjoyment. There is like no like no he, like if you have a woman that looks like that on top of you, butt ass naked and wearing like that cool mask, and you're just laying there like a fucking I don't he know like a dead do fish. Anything. It's terrible. Who thought that was like? It's so bad. Who thought that was a good idea? And like, it's just there's no okay. So just to give, some, I'm not gonna like go play by play of this sex scene, but just for some context for the listeners. So he, um, you know, she, she as Darcy tries to, you know, make a pass at him and and come on to him and kiss him, and he's like not into it, um, because he's like, no, Darcy, I like don't think about you that way. Um, but he does. He has already kissed her as the black scorpion without knowing it. He didn't know uh, it was her. And so she basically just like breaks into his fucking apartment dressed as the black scorpion. And I mean, essentially attacks him. Although once, you know, once she's on top of him, he very clearly is like, okay, yeah, this is happening now. Um, But yeah, he, the lights are on. They're just on top of the covers. He is fully clothed the whole time. And he just lays there. And then they they play this like stock music 
like weird 90s like, like kind of creepy somber piano mixed with like some weird like synth shit going on in the background while they then start doing that weird like 90s slow-mo where they didn't shoot in enough frames per second to really do the slow-mo so it's just like choppy and weird and it's just the it's like the worst it's like one of the worst sex scenes i've ever seen it's just by the by the grace of god we get joan severance being beautiful and th there is at least that um for your tna meter uh but yeah it's a weird one and like he it, michael russo is definitely phoning it in through this whole movie um i mean i think he's really he's really cute and he's really charming and i you know i like him as an actor but yeah he is just not really here for most of this movie they they don't even really have a lot of chemistry like he There's and, no he and joan severance don't really have a ton of no. chemistry and it just feels like he just yeah he just like doesn't do anything either he also fills in a cardboard cutout of cop sidekick yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's it <laughs> it's weird because uh <sighs> sorry i had to let out a huge fucking sound out um <laughs> So Barbara Crampton, who is one of the most gorgeous women in the entire fucking world, always has been, still is, uh, of course, was in Reanimator. Absolutely. That was, that was the love interest in Reanimator. And Bruce Abbott had really good chemistry with her in that movie. But I I don't know. Maybe it's just different circumstances, different production, different whatever. He just was phoning it in. But there's, mm -hmm. there is no chemistry with Joan Severance, who's also a beautiful woman. I, it's just, it's weird. It's very weird his acting is weird mm -hmm. what is it's like he didn't want to be there what is also weird is that yeah he seems like he doesn't want to be there and then what i do find interesting about like the writing of it all is that you know i was just talking when we were talking about joan severance that i felt like they didn't give her character any depth at all like i don't know anything about her life outside of just being a cop and being a vigilante but then they do actually give a. Uh, michael russo i mean bruce of all people uh some actual like weird character development in in the scene where he makes her the worst most disgusting omelet i've ever heard of in my entire life and he just takes a bunch of leftover fast food bits and chops them up and puts them in an egg and makes her an omelet and that. i just had to point that out because that I, I, I mean, I guess we've all been there, but it's also just like, <laughs> what, like, what are you doing, and why is this a scene in this movie? Like, why is he getting this, but not our main character? Like, I don't. It, it's a weird one. <laughs> it is weird. Uh, you know, I, I said like everybody. I feel like everybody in this film was was phoning in their performance except for one. And you know who that one is? That one is Garrett Morris, who plays the character of Argyle. Oh yeah. Um, Garrett Morris. <laughs> yeah. Garrett Morris is a fucking is one of those actors that every time I see him in a movie or a TV show, like I'm 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 ready, like I'm I'm strapped in I'm ready because yeah I know that at least even if the movie or the show sucks I know that when he's on fucking screen it's going to be fun because he's always fucking fun. Um, of course yeah. you know he's he's best known for Saturday Night Live uh, from 1975 to 1980. Um, for horror fans, you might know him from The Stuff. Uh, he's also uh, well known for uh, Martin, which was Martin Lawrence's original show, and most recently he was in Two Broke Girls, that that series, um, and of course Black Scorpion too. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so Garrett Morris, I think he's fucking, 
he's fucking hilarious in everything he's in and he's just like naturally hilarious like he doesn't even have to like go out of his way to be funny it's just his line deliveries are always fucking quirky and fun and he's just a fun dude and you can tell in this just like everything he's in that he is genuinely having fun like i think he comes Mm -hmm. across as he likes being there like he is the exact opposite of bruce abbott he comes off as like i'm here i'm doing this you know doing this character i'm having a good time and the difference between him and bruce abbott is one of them came back for the sequel and it wasn't bruce abbott so what's that (laughs) um well man you know i i also love garrett morris i um i grew up watching uh snl with my parents and you know i immediately was like whoa it's that guy like he's in this movie so that was really cool he's definitely um he's very obviously the the comic relief in a lot of these scenes which is nice because the dialogue in this movie is not very good frankly so to have to have to have a little bit of intentional humor that actually lands on occasion is is pretty good um i really like that he's he's kind of like the alfred to her to her bat girl yes, yes. <laughs> and you know he he kind of make makes her you know it, it's it's just really cool that like they he's introduced as like this ex car thief kind of like streetwise guy mm-hmm. and then it turns out he's like super tech savvy and he just like makes her all these gadgets and he like turns her car he makes her car like shape shift using tech that doesn't exist like he gives her car gps like in 1995 so it's like i thought that was really cool uh that they do that and then you know i i have to i have to point out okay i got it i did raise my eyebrows in judgment at this bit but the the more it kept happening the more i kept laughing which is that (laughs) he set up her he set up her the computer in her car and was like, go ahead and try it out. You can. It, it does voice commands, and so she's like, oh, computer, like bring me up, blah 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 blah. And he actually programmed it to only respond yo. to yo. Yeah. So dude. for the rest of the movie, <laughs> little Joan Severance, who is the the which it, which uh, Garrett Morris points out several times is the whitest white girl of all time it just has to go yo computer bring show me the plans for the factory or like yo computer tell me how to get to blah 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 and it just keeps happening and it's so ridiculous and i don't know it 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 made me laugh quite a bit you know what's sad though out of everything well there's a lot of things in this movie that i would have done or there are choices in this movie that are 100 me I feel like that's probably one of them. I feel like that's something I would fucking do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I you, can I can see that. I think yeah. It's, it's funny you said Argyle is like her her uh, Alfred. I feel like he's almost more uh, Lucius Fox, who of course is uh, Batman's other right hand man. Actually, yeah. Who makes who makes gadgets and shit? That's more accurate. Yeah, and also I find it that's funny. That's way more accurate. Yeah. I have never heard of anybody else named Argyle. Other than one other person who is also a person of color and Die Hard, the uh, the limo driver for Bruce Willis and Die Hard is his name is Argyle. Yeah. And it's just like, what? Two, uh, that's, oh, that's the only really time I've ever heard that name Argyle. And it happens to be a person of color you know, and a sidekick. 
You know, it's probably because uh, Roger Corman, like all the great artists, steals and borrows from everything. So he probably that was a pretty popular movie at that time still, I think. So that that wouldn't surprise me. Um, But yeah, I thought it was really cool that uh, that he I kind of thought that he was going to fade into the background of the story, but he kind of like sticks around for quite Mm -hmm. a bit of it and like helps her out a lot. Um, So I thought I thought that was cool. Like I said, he comes back for the sequel, and he's just as prominent in that. So that's awesome. I didn't know that. Good, good on Garrett Morris, man. Good on, good on him for for having fun and, and doing the damn thing. Um, let's. We've already talked about yeah. uh, Casey's uh, Samasco's fucking brief appearance as Doctor Goddard, um, who, who, like you <laughs> said, he he plays the character for all of three minutes, but then somebody else, of course, in the costume of. Uh, of mm-hmm. uh, breathtaker and just to paint a picture for you folks listening so the villain of this movie breathtaker he looks like a cross between a cylon from the original Battlestar galactica mixed with darth vader and he's even got like a brief <laughs> like so so like <sighs> jesus christ this is where it's so grown worthy the entire premise built around this villain and his world dominance is asthma the entire <laughs> movie and his and his and his his thing is asthma because when he was shot by black scorpion's father the bullets went through his lungs and now he can't breathe like a normal person so he's got this super experimental like basically robotic iron lung and he got to wear this special suit and he employs his henchmen who are asthmatics and he has concocted a chemical that goes in people's inhalers to like when they inhale it, it like gives them mind con- like they're under mind control and he's planning to unleash a gas upon the world or the, at least the city angel city which is what's called to uh, make people not be able to breathe this entire movie is built around asthma. Like, yep. Wow. What is your yeah? What is your he, superpower, <laughs> breathtaker? Asthma. Asthma. <laughs> yeah, he. It's it's literally okay. So what is so funny is that it's like. I'm I'm never fully clear on exactly what his plan is and I might have just missed it but it seems like so in one scene he tells her that he wants to poison the air so that everyone has to okay wait I'm understanding it now as I'm saying it so everybody has to wear a mask so that he won't be weird anymore he'll be the normal one because everyone's his gonna have to wear line. like a gas mask and like tubes just like him yeah his, his actual line was if I can't breathe like everyone else everyone's going to breathe like me yes yeah but then he also throws in so okay so then he he hijacks the news feed of the local news and tells everybody i'm going to put a toxin into the air that will asphyxiate all of you um but you have until midnight to come to the breath headquarters uh to get a gas mask and so he starts giving out all these gas masks but then he put 
more of the toxin in the gas mask so then he can also add mind control on top of that so not only so it's not that he just wants to make everyone have to breathe through gas masks so he doesn't feel weird he also then wants to take control of all of them and i don't really know what the next step is after that um but it's just kind of your classic over the top uh superhero kind of villain motive that doesn't really make a ton of sense but you're just like okay sure <laughs> you brought you brought up the, the the part where he takes over the news broadcast and that is such a fucking lift from uh burton's 1989 batman where um where joker literally hijacks yeah. the news broadcast and announces to gotham that uh he's going to be you know giving out free money or whatever it's like completely 100 percent a clone of that scene it's it's so like on the nose. It's ridiculous. Uh, but since we're talking about Breathtaker, and when you know we, we talked about, I don't know who who played to him under the mask. Uh, but again, uh, uh, Casey, I don't either. Yeah, <laughs> um, Casey Samasco played the Doctor Goddard before the transformation. But I do want to talk about real quickly the voice of Breathtaker, uh, who was uh, Ed Gilbert. And this is where I'm going to nerd out for a minute, Katie, because you're not going to recognize probably any of this. Um, yes. Ed Gilbert voiced some of my favorite cartoons growing up. He was the fucking voice of General Hawk from G.I. Joe. He did voices on Centurions. He was the Mandarin on the 90s Iron Man cartoon. But most of all, he was Major Disaster on the Toxic Crusaders cartoon. So... Ed Gilbert, Breathtaker's voice, no longer with us, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, thought, I just wanted to throw it out there because you know he he was a great uh, voice actor. No, well, I mean the the yeah the voice of the villain was was cool, and I mean you were describing the look earlier, and you mentioned Darth Vader, which in my notes I wrote down that the villain looks like Darth Vader went through like a Power Rangers filter. It's yeah. like if Darth Vader got zapped into the universe of an episode of Power Rangers, that's what he would look like. I think yeah. if that if that helps in any way. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about. Uh... I guess it was uh, Lieutenant Walker, Darcy's dad, played by Rick Rosovic, who is probably best known as Slider from Top Gun. Uh, he was also in uh, Spellbinder. Mm -hmm. He did he did a very funny episode of Tales from the Crypt, which that episode was directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but uh, Rick Rosovic, oh, he's, nice. He's never he he's always immediately recognizable. He's he's one of those that guy actors uh but he's never yeah. he's he's got a great look and he's always been um physically fit he was also in terminator mm -hmm. i forgot he's actually uh he plays um linda hamilton's roommate's boyfriend and arnold fucks him up real real good that movie but anyway sorry um he's never been a great actor <laughs> he's never been a great actor and in this yeah. even more so like this movie I never thought he was great, but in this movie, he's just fucking flat out terrible, like so terrible. And oh, I thought he, I thought he was bad enough during like the shootout scenes and stuff. But my God, uh, the bar scene that takes place 18 years later, right before he gets killed, when he's trying to play drunk, oh, dude, yeah. I know it's hard to play a drunk and I, I've seen people like not pull it off very well. But this guy is so far beyond pulling it off. It's not even funny. Like, he is so goddamn bad. 
that he obviously oh yeah it's like some some community theater level oh yeah like definitely like a community theater level performance um in that scene specifically i think um i'm kind of with you like I, i he did have a cool look like i thought he looked the part like at the beginning i wasn't sure if he was i wasn't sure what was gonna happen i wasn't sure if we were gonna stay in 1975 for a while or if this was just like a flashback leading up to kind of the main plot but i thought you know i thought he he looked the part definitely um that whole opening like action sequence where he's chasing the guys uh in in the cars that was kind of cool uh and they like flipped the car that's pretty cool uh but i think the funniest part that he is in is when he is trying to tell darcy as a young child uh trying to tell her a bedtime story and he just tells her the worst story ever like he tells her the scorpion and the frog story which doesn't have a it just ends with the scorpion stinging the frog and they both die and drown you know what's funny he's literally just like yep the end (laughs) they choose that as like i guess the quote-unquote like uh i don't know moment that where she gets the name of her her alter ego but yeah but why like it makes no sense there's like nothing from that story it doesn't make any sense no like if i heard that if i want to become a superhero and my dad had died, but he had told me that story. I would not be like, you know what? Yeah, sure. Why not? I'm going to go by Black Scorpion. Like, that's not heroic. That story's not heroic at all. There's some there's some weird, like, through line with scorpions in this whole and not just, but having to do with her dad specifically, because so in the. So they have that flashback where he tells her that scorpion story. And then 18 years later, when he meets her at the bar, isn't that when he gives her the scorpion ring? Yes. That also has like weird, like powers. Well, she, she like adapts it later to like basically be electrified and like shoot out lightning and shit. So that was kind of cool. She like turns it into a taser somehow. But the fact that he, the fact that 18 years later, he gives her, he gives her a scorpion ring at the very beginning of the movie when she's undercover and she's like talking to her partner over the radio. I'm pretty sure he, referred to her as scorpio as if that's her like code name while she's undercover so like there's been some weird thing with scorpions with her and her dad like her whole life and and that is and they just run with it (laughs) you know know what that's called katie you know that's called it's called grasping for straws it's it's called grasping for straws they sure they sure were (laughs) I, I know i know like you said you couldn't really find out any like research and of course i don't fucking do research but this is just my own theory okay this is my own theory of why the movie was called black scorpion okay <clears throat> sorry so roger corman wants to make uh, a superhero movie because they're all the rage in 1995 batman movies are doing you know doing good uh, everybody's trying to make their own batman movie Roger Corman, who's always one to bake off of success, decides, let's do one, but in typical Roger Corman fashion, let's let's sex it up a little bit. Um, so they got to come up with a yeah. name, right? They got to come up with a name. So they're trying to come up with names. And probably they're coming up with names that, let's face it, Marvel and DC have so many superheroes, it's hard to come up with a name that's not taken. So I feel like mm-hmm. somebody, maybe Roger Corman himself, or, or or somebody was like, hey, 
I've got an idea. Roger Corman, you uh, you you already own a movie called Black Scorpion, so you know you own the name. So let's just call it that. And I feel like because they because he actually had a movie in 1957 called The Black Scorpion, which was about an actual giant black scorpion monster. Yep. Um, so maybe that they just say like, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? That's a name that we can use. Fuck it, let's go with it. And then they tried to build a reason around her having that name, and they just could never fucking nail it. So I I don't know if that's true because like you said, you know, I, I even got this movie on DVD and it had some special features on it, but it had really no information at all. Um, so I don't know if that's true, but that sounds pretty close. Like there, especially I didn't realize that the 1957 movie was a Roger Corman movie. So yeah, yep. he definitely just owned that name and was like, let's roll with it. And I mean, what I think is cool, like, I think the like the name is cool. The costume is cool. And what I really liked is that she has this really long braid and it's almost like her scorpion tail. Yeah, and I just thought yeah. that was like a really cool character design. So like the whole thing being a scorpion is fine. I just think it's weird that they that it had such a weak through line. Like I don't even think they set up that she like I don't know. I feel like if I were doing it, it'd be something like she and her dad were like weirdly into astrology and she was a Scorpio and then she just identified with the traits of a scorpion or something. But but they they kind of just weakly throw in this like weird, depressing bedtime story <laughs> that has to do with a scorpion, which they do. They do a setup. They do reference it like at the end of the movie. She says something like, well, it's just in my nature, which is what the scorpion says. uh to the to the frog. <sighs> we'll, we'll just pretend yep. that we'll pretend <laughs> that it, it was other means that she got her name. Let's fucking just let, let's let's yeah. let's talk about uh, not not a big character, but I just want to I just want to talk about him for a minute because I always uh, enjoyed the actor um, Stephen Lee, who played Captain Strickland, um, who was uh, you know. Every yeah. every every movie that deals with police has always got to have their big burly grumpy you know boss yelling. So uh, Captain Strickland yeah. is that character in this movie, played by Stephen Lee, uh, who sadly passed in 2014. Uh, but he was a regular on so much television. Uh, he's also well known as Duffy from RoboCop Part Two. Uh, he was also in Ghoulies Three. He was also in the. Uh, the Lance Hendrickson starring version of the pit and the pendulum. And he was in Carnosaur three. Oh, cool. So, uh, he's, he's got his ties to, um, Roger Corman quite a bit. And, uh, also got ties to other very well-known, uh, early nineties, mid nineties, horror, uh, horror genres or horror companies, I should say like full moon pictures and, and stuff like that. So just a quick shout out to him. Uh, again, I've always enjoyed yeah. his work. And I, you know, he, he, he was pretty cool. Yeah. He's actually one of my favorite parts of this movie, just because the bit, they kept doing this bit with him smoking that was cracking me up. Like they introduced at the very beginning that he's just like your stereotypical, like chain smoking cop. And the first thing they do is he's smoking next to the DA who is like, 
inhaling like using an inhaler because he has asthma and the cop is like smoking a cigarette in the same room as him as he's using his inhaler and it's like man you really got to start taking better care of yourself like you should come work out with me on tuesdays and thursdays like he's smoking a cigarette so they do that and then it just kind of keeps progressing throughout the the movie until at one point everybody in the town is getting these gas masks in like preparation of the toxin that's coming in the air and they walk into the 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 captain's office and he's got the gas mask on and he pulls it off and just cigarette smoke pours out of it and he's just still smoking a cigarette (laughs) under his gas mask so like little things like that like i really did appreciate i thought that was really funny um so yeah he was he was a, a fun part of this movie yeah him and him and uh him and Garrett Morris's Argyle was probably the two, honestly, uh, best yeah best characters other than Black Scorpion herself. Uh, but technically, I, I would almost say they're even better than that because, again, she was only cool as Black Scorpion. So, agreed. So, yeah, so I the did best. really enjoy the the I did really enjoy the wrestling sisters. Yes, yes. Uh, so that's one thing I really want to talk about. I really want to talk about. Uh, you know, breathtaker. Yeah, he, he was definitely goofy, and like I said, like a fucking Dollar Tree version of uh, of Darth Vader. But that's something I loved about this movie, and something I loved even more so about the sequel and the and, and the series was how they basically took the campy superhero stuff of the '60s and gave it a dose of like an injection of the '90s. And that comes through so much with the villains, especially the wrestling sisters. Like I ate that shit up and I wanted more of that. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. And yeah, the sisters were fun. Um, The group of like ninjas, I guess were pretty fun too. I really (laughs) liked that the one guy like, early on in the movie before it kind of makes this tonal shift into a total just like cartoon um one of those guys is handcuffed in the in the station and just all of a sudden he just kind of freaks out and he like jumps over his hands like over his handcuffs to put his handcuffs in front of him and just like runs right at the camera screaming it's very funny i love it yeah so black scorpion 2 and again also the series was literally the Batman 1966 series with your dark, edgy 90s and nudity thrown in. That's literally what they were. And that's why I mm-hmm. was looking forward you know, to watching this and talking about it and then fi- figuring out that I picked the wrong fucking movie. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I th- and, and like, don't get me wrong. Like the second one, this, like this also can be that's not beat around the bush it's kind of a bad movie as well but it's way more fun because of because like it is literally an hour and a half like episode of batman 1966 the like the main villain is Mm -hmm. so is like a joker ripoff and half of his face is a clown he's like he's like he's like two-face right he's a ripoff of the joker but he looks like a clown version of two-face because one half of his body is a clown the other half is normal and it's so campy and over the top. Like, if you just look up, like, uh, Black Scorpion Part 2, I think it's called, like, Aftershock or some shit like that, and just look at the characters. Like, it's so ridiculous and so fun. 
Yeah. I, you know, I, and I think that's what I wanted a little bit more about this movie. Or I think one of the issues I had is it just like the tonal shifts were really jarring and didn't really make a lot of sense. So I kind of wish they'd like committed one way or the other, because like the first half of this movie kind of just feels like, like a semi sleazy made for TV, like cop vigilante drama almost Mm -hmm. and then it just all of a sudden turns into a total like cartoon character comic book story and i liked both of those things it's just the sudden shift from one to the other i thought was really weird so i would have kind of i think i would have much preferred if they'd just gone full cartoon the whole time yeah I, i i don't think they knew exactly what they wanted um they they didn't know what direction to take i think i think they were scared in a way i think they wanted they wanted tim burton's batman right but somewhere along the line somebody wanted uh adam west batman and they didn't know really how to marry those two things together so i think they were afraid to to dip too much into one or the other but by the time they got to the yeah. second, by the time they got to the second one, they were like, fuck it. Let's just make it full camp, but shoot it like a dark movie. And it fucking worked. Well, I mean, I think it worked. Some people might think it's fucking terrible, but I, I think it worked. And this, the the first one was just a, uh, what they say, a, uh, a good college try, I guess. Yeah. Like I, I definitely, I definitely feel like I'll, I'll, eventually watch the sequel because i'm looking at pictures now and like the yeah the costumes are crazy like it just looks way wackier like it looks like they actually did the last like 15 minutes of this movie but for the whole movie exactly yeah yeah sure did yeah mm-hmm. well uh let's let's since we're talking about the direction and, and choices and stuff let's talk a little bit about our director uh jonathan winfrey uh who of course did this movie and the second movie he also is known for Excessive Force Part 2, yep. uh, starring the super hot Stacey Randall, who we will be talking about again soon when we do our, our, our Ghoulies Gauntlet uh, season finale. But uh, he also uh, directed Carnosaur 3. How did you feel about uh, choices made and direction of Mr. Winfrey in this movie? Which, spoiler, I pretty much already know what you think. Um, you know, I don't, I felt like, okay, so again, I think we've talked about this in a previous episode. It's always hard to tell whose fault is it, like, was it directing or was it editing? And how much did the director influence how things were edited? So like, I don't know for sure, but I felt like a lot of things in this movie were really jarring and everything, I feel like there were so many scenes where like things just escalated very quickly to the point that I had no idea what was going on. And I had to rewind it to be like, how did we get here? How are we all of a sudden in this chase scene? Or how how is all of this chaos suddenly broken out? And I have no idea how we got here. <laughs> like, so I feel like there it's, you know, it was 
to use your favorite word, it was serviceable, I guess. Like, I mean, there was a movie there that I could watch and it was semi-coherent, but I don't think there was anything particularly, you know, special about his directing style. Um, You know, I will say that scrolling through his IMDb, what is standing out to me is how many, uh, like, kids shows he went on to direct. Uh Like, he directed a few episodes of this Nickelodeon show called Cousin Skeeter, which was, like, a puppet show that I watched at one point. And he directed, like, five episodes of Even Stevens um, on the Disney Channel. So that is just an interesting trajectory to me. Um, But to bring it back to Black Scorpion, I, you know, it's it's nothing special to me personally. Not so. No offense to him. Yeah. Interesting that you bring up, you know, whose fault is it? Because we talk about that a lot. Whose fault is it? Is it the director's fault, editor's fault, um, sometimes even producer's fault? Most of the time, you know, if we're talking about a Hollywood movie, it's going to fall on if it's a producer because they're always fucking sticking their fingers and where it shouldn't be. But on this, yeah, uh, in this case, we know it's not really um, Roger Corman's fault because that man, from from everything that I've known about him, everything that you hear about him, he he basically writes the checks, makes sure that the movie that, that it runs smoothly. It comes in on time and on budget or under budget. And that's all the man cares about. And he's not really one to like fuck with things. So now we're left with the director right. and editor, right? So you might have to fact check me on some of this, but one of the editors, there was two editors on the movie. I can't remember who they both were. I know that one of them was, uh, was uh, Gwyneth Gibby, who was one of the editors on this movie. She went on to direct the Black Scorpion series, right? But I don't know. Oh, that's cool. I don't know really much else. However, the editor of Black Scorpion Part 2, he is the editor for uh, a lot of things, most notably, like, uh, he he was, like, the editor on the entire Dexter series, uh, Heroes Reborn, The Affair. He was the editor on the uh, the 2016 version of uh, of Blair Witch. He edited the uh, the made for Netflix uh, Death Note movie. Like this guy kind of went on, has gone on to like oh, wow. be an editor for like way bigger and better things. Do you see where I'm going with this? And the thing, yeah, the thing is the same director, Jonathan Winfrey, directed both Black Scorpion one and two, and you compare the two movies and while they are similar, like you said, the last like 20 minutes of black scorpion is what the entire hour and a half of black scorpion two was like. So I almost feel like Jonathan Winfrey had everything in his best, best intentions that maybe since there was two editors on this movie. Yes. Maybe that in, in the editing process, like they, they're the ones that couldn't figure out how, what the outcome should be. Should this be a Tim Burton esque edgy dark, you know, Batman type thing, or should this be a campier, more silly 1966 Batman type of thing? Mm -hmm. And I think it got jumbled and messed up in the editing because it's always telling to me when I see uh, a credits of a movie with two editors, that always scares me that there's two editors in the movie. That's a bad sign. Yeah. So. Yeah. I feel like. I feel like the. 
it, it could be. So I think it, sometimes it's kind of both like it's like everybody's fault. Like, yeah, I think on one hand, maybe the editors just, you know, couldn't land on how they wanted to really edit this movie. It's also very possible, you know, this movie was being shot on a very tight timeline, not a lot of budget. It's not like they could go do reshoots if they noticed they needed, they missed a pickup or there's like, they might literally not have had enough footage for certain scenes to like do what they originally intended. And they, like I said, couldn't right. go back and shoot pickups or uh, reshoots. So, you know, you just got to edit what you have. And I think that's, to me, that feels like why some of those scenes feel very like, oh, this is happening now. That was abrupt. Okay, cool. I'm just rolling with it. Like it, it doesn't, things don't happen um, seamlessly or just, they don't feel very organic. It kind of feels like we're here and now this is going to happen and now we're going to fight and now this shootout's going to start and that leads to a car chase. Like it's just a little, it's a little all over the place. And so I, I would be willing to believe um, that it was maybe a little bit of, of both in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and like, that's not to say that Jonathan, that it was bad directing. I'm, I'm saying that the circumstances around how this movie had to get made could have, it, it's not like you, you don't have the t- you don't have the luxury of having the t- enough time to do everything that you want to do and do exactly what you set out to do. Right, right. Um, you know, we were talking about uh, the editor or one of the editors, uh, Gwyneth G- Gibby. Uh, like I talked about last episode, how Roger Corman has always been pro, uh, you know, female fil- filmmakers and stuff, and how he's always given chances to female filmmakers. Yeah. And he's always been a stickler for working your way up the ladder. If you look at a lot of his films, you, you'll see a lot of the editors eventually went on to be directors for his movies because he would see how well, how hard of a worker they were That's as cool. an editor. And then like he would eventually give them jobs as a director. Uh, Gwyneth Gibby, who, of course, was one of the editors on this movie, uh, edited other stuff for, for Roger Corman. And she went on to direct the, the Marcus de Sade um, or Marquise de Sade, whatever you, however you want to pronounce it, uh, which was another Roger Corman uh, produced movie. <laughs> So, I mean, she went on to do, you know, some directing as well. And I, again, she was also the director of the Black Scorpion series. So, you know, he handed the keys over to her on mm-hmm. that. So you're probably right. It's probably a little bit of both on that end of why the first one is such a mess. But I digressed. Watch the second one. It's a much, much um, uh, fun, much more fun experience. Yeah. I did have a couple of, um, you know, like I said, I couldn't find a lot of behind the scenes stuff as far as like tidbits on the production, um, but I did get a couple of things. So the 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 DVD that I got had a an interview with Joan Severance. Well, I thought it was an interview, but it was actually literally just Joan Severance like sitting in front of a TV playing scenes from Black Scorpion on repeat in the background. And then she just kind of talked at the camera for like 30 minutes straight about everything. She kind of just went all, all over the place. But a couple of things that I got out of that, uh, kind of the funniest thing to me was that they had to sew her into that costume. Um, and it took up to 30 minutes to actually get her out of the costume. So she had to plan out all of her bathroom breaks like wow. throughout the day. Like she couldn't just go whenever she needed to. She was just completely stuck in that, uh, in that. Um, she still owns the black scorpion mask to this day, which I think is super cute. And, um, this is an unverified fact. I have tried to find 
proof that this happened, but on IMDb, under the trivia section, which keep in mind, we've already established this episode that it's crowdfunded, so pretty, or not funded, but crowdsourced so pretty much anybody can like contribute facts to to some of these things but there was a claim in the trivia that while they were shooting the the car chase in downtown i believe they were in la um but i'm not 100 percent sure but while they were shooting one of those car chases uh the local news helicopters appeared and began covering the chase live unaware that it was staged that's great that's great (laughs) yeah so unverified, I don't know if that's actual. Yeah, where they're where they're shooting at that shit probably like happened quite a bit, so they didn't know what the fuck if it was a difference or not. Um, now there's another thing yeah. that I don't I don't know the fact if it's factual rumor or whatever. I I here's here's my outlook on it. I tend to believe that this is 100 percent true, and even though I here's the funny thing, even though I believe it. I don't want to believe it because it ruins it for me. But the sex scene um, is a body double. That's not actually her naked. Yeah, I think that's true. And I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because that reminds me that she went in that little DVD bonus thing. She said a sentence that confused me and made no sense to me that now makes perfect sense, which she mentioned something about like, Oh yeah, and like those aren't my abs, even though you know I, I I do work out a lot. Like I was working out a lot at the time, but those aren't my abs. And I was like, wait, what is she talking about? Was that not her in that? S-? So basically, what I was saying earlier about the only like thing worthwhile in that scene isn't even her. It's a body double. <laughs> so all right, so here here's the thing. Here's the thing. The reason why I I, I could just write it off as yeah, that's one hundred percent fact, right? Um, the the only reason yeah. that that I still like say that maybe possibly is because I have seen Joan Severance naked, and 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 other things. I thought that I thought that's what you were gonna say. And I'll just I'll just say I'll just say this: they found a body double that's damn near fucking identical. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I find it weird that so so she did get she did get nude on screen later in her career. Multiple so times. like I'm wondering why if she if she didn't I'm wondering why if she like why wouldn't she I don't know, why would Two she things. use a body double for that if she gets nude? Two later? things. So she was a model before she was an actress. So she's have has multiple nude photo shoots out there. Um mm-hmm. Also, she has been nude on film before. So one of two things happened here. Either that was really her and she's just, you know, it's just a lie that it was a body double. Um, or actually, you know what? I take it. I take it back. Three things. Three things. We're going to do three, three scenarios here. One is, and I know this from experience. Uh, I'm not going to name the actress's name, but you were on set with me. It's a, a bigger, a bigger name actress that I've worked with. Um, she was willing to do a nude scene that was not originally in the script, but she looked at me and she was like, I'll do this, but we've got to change the contract and the fee and whatever else there was a bunch of red tape and an extra step that we had to take if we wanted to shoot this. 
Right. And by this point, like, after all the money we'd already spent, after all the fucking contracts we'd already gone through and all that, I was like, no, fuck it. We're, we're just going to do side boob and, you know, whatever. I'm thinking, so scenario one. You call it a day. Scenario one is she did nudity that was not original, like, that was not a part of the contract. So she, in turn, could also mm-hmm. get in trouble for for doing that because of agents and other, you know, SAG, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, red tape. So she did it, but they had they played it off as it was a body double. Does that make sense? Yeah, that actually does. I, I didn't, I forgot that there's like weird like union rules and like everything has to be, uh, right clearly written out and things so yeah i and i mean i feel like yeah i mean it it's i want to hear your other scenarios too i mean it's totally possible that that a person could do a nude scene in one movie and then decide that they don't want to do it for another movie like that's totally fine right. but it it feels like that maybe wasn't the case here i mean that's that's scenario two is basically she had done nudity before and she just didn't want to particularly do this film for whatever reason i just find it weird knowing how roger corman works that you would specifically have a sex scene with nudity and you would pay extra to somebody else it doesn't seem like i mean it's yeah not, that, that seems that's like a waste of realm. money um but then there's also the fact that she went way too much money for the nude scene that's 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 the third and final that's also very possible, especially as being a, a model who's already done it before. That's right. very, that's very possible. I mean, they, you know, Corbin could have been like, Hey, I, you know, my, my, the check that I'm writing to you is only this big. I'm not throwing an extra zero in here just for your tits when I can pay, you know, Sally, our hairdresser five bucks and she'll do it. Um, <laughs> dude sally's down she's cool she's S- been waiting for this day S- Sal- her whole life sally's got it going on uh but again it just it's just odd that if that is a body double that is like immaculately close to what joan severance looked like on you know naked at that at that point in time i sound like yeah. such a skeezer uh no knowing knowing this no of- but i mean i get it <laughs> Um, so yeah. But I mean, it is it, it 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 is interesting, especially. I mean, I think specifically what you pointed out is exactly why it's weird, which is that I don't understand why a movie on a super tight timeline, on a super tight budget, made by Roger Corman of all people, would get two people to do the job that one person could do. So it's like to me, it's either it's either cut the nudity and just do an, a, a sex scene with some side boob, or or just do it like don't right. get a body double so i don't know that right. that's an interesting that's an interesting choice uh from them uh speaking of inter- uh, interesting choices let's talk about uh craig uh, j uh, navias who was the writer uh who has wrote a lot of things uh he did um the the most famous thing to me is he wrote roger corman's fantastic four which is like, I don't know if you know the history behind that, but the, the movie that was never meant to be seen. Not a ton. Yeah, so I'm not going to go into the history I have heard of whispers that. of it. Yeah, so I'm not going to go into all that because I'll be here all night. But uh, basically, Roger Corman got the rights 
by by whoever to make a Fantastic Four movie, but the movie was never meant to be seen. It was basically made so certain people could retain rights to the to the to the title. And uh, anyway, the movie actually does exist. It's come out through bootlegs and stuff. It's terrible, but it's also great. Check it out. Um, Craig <laughs> uh, Craig Navias wrote that. He also wrote Lady Killer, uh, the aforementioned uh, Marquise de Sade movie. Uh, which all you know was start uh, Nick Mancuso and John Reese Davies. Uh, he did, of course, Black, the Black Scorpion one, two, and the Black Scorpion series. Um, I feel that directing and editing aside, the writing of this movie was pretty fucking terrible, and the dialogue is mm-hmm. even more atrocious than the storyline. But then when you watch Black Scorpion two in the series. And, you know, stuff like uh, like the Fantastic Four movie, even though it's a low budget, you can tell that this guy genuinely loves a superhero genre. And I think, yeah, I don't think he was maybe able to fully flesh out what he wanted to do in the script for the first one. And again, it's such a rushed project that maybe the second one, the second one came out two years later. So they probably had more time. And weren't so rushed yeah. to do it. And I think uh, that's where his writing kind of shined through. But as far as this movie, whew, terrible. And you know what? We, we've been we've been sitting here talking so much shit about Jonathan Winfrey and about uh, Gwyneth Gibby. And now, and now uh, Craig, uh, Jay, and Nevias. Maybe, maybe we're wrong, Katie. Maybe it's, it's none of their faults. Maybe when you're, like you said, when you're doing, what, 13, 15 movies in one year? And you're rushing, you, you, you're literally on a time crunch because you've got to get these shot because they're coming out on showtime. I mean, that's where you start sacrificing your quality over quantity. Maybe that maybe none of this is their fault, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting, you know, the more we're talking about it, I'm starting to feel like maybe, you know, a lot of, especially when we look at some of the things these people went on to work to like to do and and make it, it feels like this is a, a victim of circumstance. Like it just feels like, but you know, I think in the end, it kind of just worked out for them because black scorpion, but it spawned a sequel. It spawned a TV series. It's got a comic book series. So, I mean, it, if it was totally just total garbage, then it would it wouldn't even be remembered. It would have been completely forgotten. So I mean, right. in that sense, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Um. But you know, I also I also think that the 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 dialogue in this movie is rough. Like some of it is just. Um, this is a little uh, nitpicky, but this just made me laugh. At at one point, I think one of the villains. I think Breathtaker says something like atoms will change on the molecular level, which is not how atoms Adams or <laughs> molecules are made up of atoms. So that's just not how that works at all. And I just think that's really funny. So like clear, it's like little things like that. It's like, I feel like something like that would have been caught in like a draft edit or like it would have been caught in one of the the rounds before you finalize that script. But it's just like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how fast they wrote this movie, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was written in like a, a week or two or less knowing Roger Corman. There was probably no draft edit whatsoever. I guarantee you this thing was written. 
they looked it over, they gave it the green light, and there might have been some changes made on set. But that was probably about fucking it. Yep. That's it. Um, yeah, I I completely believe that. Let's, let's, let's jump over to one of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, you know, since we're talking about uh, crunch time, and we're also talking about, uh, you, you just mentioned Breathtaker again. I want to talk about the makeup effects and, and, and the costuming. So uh, Michael Burnett, who I have had the pleasure of meeting, super fucking nice guy. And I feel like he's a, an unsung hero in the effects world. Uh, the guy has worked on some of my all-time favorite things. Uh, the Masters of the Universe, the movie. The Blob, uh, the 80s one, uh, the Chuck Russell one. Um, the Swamp Thing, the series. The Willies. He did uh, like six episodes of uh, the, the television series Monsters. Uh, Universal Soldier. He's still working to this day. Uh, he just most recently did uh, Jiu-Jitsu with, uh, with Nicolas Cage. And uh, he, he's always, always done really great work. I've seen his work in person. The dude's phenomenal. And, um, you know, the, the, the mask for Black Scorpion looks fucking awesome. Um, however, he also yeah. made... He also made the costume for Breathtaker. And while here, here's the difference between me and, and your general audience. If, if some, if I hire, if I was making this movie, okay. And I hired somebody to make a costume for Breathtaker and I'm on set for the first time. And somebody comes out behind a curtain dressed like that. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to smile and be like, fuck yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's do this. This is great. This is great. <laughs> but you know, but it's not I, honestly yeah. great. It's not a great costume. I I would have fun with it, of course. But of course, I would probably be making more more or less a nineteen sixty six Batman style thing anyway, which is what this technically was. But you can I could me myself I could tell by looking at it that there was no way in hell that Michael Burnett had enough time to fabricate and create something really fucking cool because i know the dude can do really fucking cool and i I think that was a huge time constraint type thing with with that with the with the makeup effects and stuff yeah i um yeah i thought i thought overall it looked cool but i'm with you yeah i think it it could have been a lot cooler especially if they just had more time um what i did like what I liked, but wish they'd shown more of, because they only showed it from one weird angle, is that when they finally, you know, when Breathtaker is finally dying, uh, Black Scorpion comes over and, and pulls his mask off like he's Darth Vader at the right. end of the original trilogy. And he's like, I mean, he kind of even looks, they've got him made up almost like like Darth Vader, like yeah. right before he dies. Um, but he... You know, he looks kind of cool. Like it, they show it only from this like one weird angle, but his skin looks like it's almost like stretched out a little bit on his face and kind of like pinned into his his mask in some way. I don't know, but he he looked like I thought that part looked kind of cool, and I would have liked to have maybe seen that a little bit more head on. But I right. imagine maybe it wasn't that good of a makeup job, and so they they shot it from a weird angle to to hide it. But I don't know. I think the the design for for these for these villains was was kind of cool, and I yeah. think you you can see that get even more uh, insane when you get to the sequel. Just looking at some of the pictures of them, oh, yeah, like, the they look definitely way more over the top. Absolutely. Now you know you know the thing is like again I I didn't mind so much the the breathtaker costume just because I I like campy shit like that. You know what I think the biggest problem is yeah 
I think the biggest problem is whoever the fuck it was they had wearing that costume because that person looked like a fucking potato. Yeah, yeah. Like that person He's was just like kind of like robotic and well, like the person was kind of portly, you know, kind of kind of like the body was kind of shaped yeah, like a potato, yeah. and it kind of had lanky arms. And like here, here's the thing, like. If you're if you're going to cast somebody different in the costume, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, all right, so <sighs> Casey uh, Samasco played Dr. Goddard for three minutes. So from that point forward, it was somebody yeah. else in the costume. And only when you take off the mask is it is it Dr. Goddard or whatever again, right? So just do the master blaster yeah. the master blaster thing from like from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, they had a big hulking guy take off the helmet and was somebody else, you know, or, or, or again, like uh, Darth Vader. David Prowse, who was a fucking body bodybuilder, was in the costume. When they took off the helmet, it was, you know, fucking Billy Joe. Anyway, why didn't they just get um, uh, Rick R- Rozovic, who played Darcy's, or yeah, Darcy's dad, to be in the costume? Because that dude is like physically fit, like a buff guy, he yeah. should have been in the fucking costume, which would have made that uh, arc a little bit cooler. That the guy playing the guy that supposedly killed him is this guy playing, you know, Doctor Goddard as Breathtaker or whatever. That would have been cool. Yeah. He'd have been like physically imposing, but instead, again, it looked like a potato in a costume. Yeah, that's what it made. And it made it made the costume. Well, even I think that's what's so funny. Yeah, well, that's what I think is kind of so funny about it is that, like, this villain is just such a nerd. Like, he's just, like, he's base. I mean, he's got, he's, I was going to say he's just, like, got asthma and is just, like, this, like, little, like, nerdy little kid who's just, like, oh, I want everybody else to be as, as weird as I am. Um, but, like, <laughs> honestly, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess he doesn't have asthma. He's been shot in the lungs and that's why he can't breathe. But I don't know. For some reason, like, the fact that he is not physically foreboding is kind of hilarious to me, but I am with you that I think it would have overall maybe been a little bit more effective if they had made him almost like this super cop or not super like a RoboCop. Like he's been rebuilt into this like badass like mecha mech suit or something. Like, I don't know. Um, Yeah. I feel like they could have done a little bit more. You also like don't really see enough of him. Like he's in, the villain is in that movie for maybe all of five minutes total on screen. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. When that's another thing, I, I'm going to keep talking about the sequel, but uh, the other one, like there's the fucking villains are everywhere. Like constantly there. It's, it's, it's such a villain centric yeah. movie. So I, I think it was definitely a case of they learned from their mistakes for sure on the first one and knew what to do on the second one. Yeah, I think so. So, Katie, uh, go ahead and give me your your final thoughts on uh, Black Scorpion. Yeah, so I think, you know, I I try to have fun with everything uh, that I watch for the show and just every every movie, any movie I watch in general, I try to uh, stay positive. Um, that being said, this was not my favorite. I was not super into it. I don't think I'll watch it again. Like there were parts of it that I thought were really funny, um, and really like interesting, but I think, uh, overall it's just like got, it's just got a weird feel to it. And it just, like we've been saying the last 20 minutes or so are just such a mess, um, that it kind of just 
I don't know. It just didn't leave a great taste in my mouth by the end of it. So not my favorite, but, um, you know, I consider every, every movie I watch is some sort of learning experience in one way or the other. So even if I didn't like it, I, you know, I gleaned some bit of info from it in one way or another. So I, I don't know if I would recommend it. I think if you, if you haven't seen this movie and, but you are super into just like this kind of era of movies and this kind of genre in general, then, you know, def, you know, put it on while you're folding laundry or washing the dishes or something. But um, other than that, you know, I, I'm glad that it has a kind of a cult following a little bit. I think there is a, a, a small, like, small-ish population of people who really, really, really love this movie. So I think that's cool, um, but not for me personally. Yeah, I, I'm i not going to – it sounds weird. I, I'm not going to recommend – the first one so much there's there's certain scenes and moments that i would recommend checking out um but as a as a whole maybe not so much however i fullheartedly uh suggest uh and recommend uh black scorpion 2 and especially black scorpion the series and if you don't feel like setting through an entire mm-hmm. season there's only one season of the series but if you don't feel like setting through an entire season they actually um took two episodes from the series and man and edited them together as a, as a movie. And then they did another one like that where they took like oh, three cool. episodes and edited it together as a movie. So if you can track those down, check them out again, the actress that played black scorpion in the series, Michelle Lintel is fucking gorgeous. Um, fun characters and, mm-hmm. and villains in that as well. So I, yeah, I, again, there's, there's moments and scenes and stuff certain certain little niche moments in the first black <laughs> scorpion that i you know recommend checking out i don't recommend the entire movie but yeah i i would recommend uh black scorpion 2 and and again the series yeah yep uh i feel i feel pretty similarly i i think i'm gonna have to check out the the sequel now that you've recommended it um but Matt, we have made it to the end of this episode, and now we've made it to your favorite part of the show, which will actually have something to talk about this time. Which is, uh, how do you rate this on the uh, on the TNA meter, dude? So we might have blasted this fucking. This is the first movie where I think we've actually blasted almost the entire episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> however, this baby on the TNA meter, <laughs> I. My rankings always depend on certain moments, certain certain things. Sometimes it'll be quantity over quality, but on on movies like this, I'm actually going to go quality over quantity because I don't know if it's Joan Severance or not or a body double. I know the sex scene is is bad, but the nudity is not. That is immaculate. Chef's kiss. That's fair. Also, the the stripper that's in the weird cowboy redneck bar <laughs> who evidently yeah. is their only stripper because like the she, only one that's ever performing all day ever, all day and night because there's like three scenes that take place in that place and she's the only one stripping i'm not complaining i don't know who she is because she is not credited in that movie but that also is chef's kiss i with those two things combined I'm that Captain Planet. I'm giving a 10 out of 10 on the TNA meter. Oh, snap. Okay. I think that might be our. I don't think we've had this high of a rating. I don't think so. Yeah. 
I think Howling 2 was was more. Yeah, actually, that it is more in Howling 2. But it would be fitting that, like, the worst movie we've talked about so far uh, it has one of the higher <laughs> TNA ratings. <laughs> and like I said, it's, 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 it's quality over quantity for this movie. Like, Let's let's face it. A lot of movies right. of this era and of this of this caliber and and uh, and budget usually like they they know they've got to put a nudity in it to help it sell or or help with viewership. Um, so they'll throw in like sometimes not the best nudity, but they put enough of it in there to make up for it. Um, this movie that was like, hey, right. qu- qu- quantity not so much, but quality, yes, siree. So ten out of ten, yeah, awesome, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> well, that's all we have for this episode of Video Express. We want to thank our sponsor, Lunch Meat. Lunch Meat VHS is your number one destination for the appreciation, celebration, and preservation of VHS and video store culture. Check out their website at lunchmeatvhs.com and explore their store full of old school horror goodies on VHS, apparel, and much, much more. You can also follow them on Instagram at lunchmeatvhs. Thanks for listening, y'all. Um, if you have thoughts about Black Scorpion or just Roger Corman movies in general, um, if you want to suggest a movie for us to talk about on here, or if you just want to drop by and say hi, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Video Express Pod. Yeah, so Katie, before we wrap things up, I just got to tell you, if you thought setting through Black Scorpion was a treat, <laughs> you just wait you just wait until the next oh, episode no. because ladies and gentlemen, oh, next, no. next we are celebrating the life of Julie strain uh, who sadly uh, passed this year and uh, is one of the most titillating actresses of my era who I enjoyed all of her films uh, for, for reasons we know uh, we'll, we'll be uh, spotlighting her <laughs> uh, this coming month. So, or the, on, on the next episode and one after that for Julie strain month. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the TNA meter is going to go off the charts for those episodes. So, Katie, I can't you wait. are in. You're in for a treat. But, guys, until next time, just remember, please be kind. Rewind. But most importantly, just be kind. I'm Matt. And I'm Katie. And we will catch you guys on the next episode of Video Express. Bye-bye. Oh.